generative AI is coming. And in many regards, it's already here. I mean, this is the topic we all need to pay attention to because it's going to affect us. And if we don't pay attention to it now, listen, I know some of us remember when our industry flipped from filming with real film to using digital cameras. Everyone went out, bought a Canon 5D <laughs> shooting up yeah. a storm and then would come back and edit on their MacBook Pros. If we do not tackle AI now or at least you know, have these involved and nuanced conversations around it, it will shortly replace so many vital creative voices in our industry. So we are starting a series on generative AI and how it is affecting various aspects of our industry. And first and foremost, we need to talk to the writers. That's where it starts. We have a special guest today, WGA writer Robin Shore, and you're going to want to hear our conversation about the impact of AI and writing for TV and film. So stick around to the end. We talk about childhood traumas and how that influences writing. We're going to talk about a beautiful chair I bought from Robin, <laughs> but more importantly, she gives us some advice for up-and-coming writers on how to navigate this new landscape. So settle in and grab a drink and let's go. Welcome to the Producers Happy Hour with your hosts, Sister Christian and Lawrence Lewis. We're two producers with over 20 years of experience each, chatting over drinks about what it means and what it takes to be a good producer. Join us for insightful interviews and informative show topics that will help you get through your toughest jobs, biggest production challenges, and most difficult clients. So grab a drink. You're going to need it. And let's get to it. Because making shit is hard. Hey, Christian, what's the most important thing about film production? The setup, pre-production, the most yeah. important part. But you know what? A lot of people think that, but you're kind of missing a step. Oh, right. The kickoff calls, because that's how you set up your prep. Right. That's where you got to get all the right questions answered at the right time and set deadlines for those answers so you can put your prep on the right path to success. Exactly. Right. And this can be accomplished with four kickoff calls. You need at least four, in my opinion. And I think for us producers, the most important one is the one with your producing partner, either the ad agency producer or your main client contact, because that's where, like you said, set the tone, set expectations, give them deadlines for when you need these answers, because timelines are already way too short for prep. I know we could always use more prep time, right? And budgets are shrinking, so don't waste any time. So what we've done is we put together our top seven questions that you should ask your agency producer or client now on that very first kickoff call. Not only does it help answer questions that you may have, it also allows you to set the tone and, you know, establish yourself as the leader of the project, <laughs> which is also a very important step as well. So we'll put a link in the show notes where you can get on our website and take a listen to our free audio bonus. Another delightful conversation between me and Sister Christian about <laughs> best ways of setting yourself up for success. Yeah, it's a page turner. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. Hey, Lawrence. Happy Fourth of July. How are you? I'm good. Happy Fourth of July. I, I hope our Fourth of July future selves are parting it up right now. <laughs> Yes. It, as much as I don't normally celebrate July 4th because, you know, all the background behind it, today I am absolutely celebrating. I'm like neck deep in, you know, fireworks and, you know, 
violence. It's been awesome. That's so, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you doing today? Well, my future Fourth of July self is hopefully watching fireworks and hanging out with friends. I'm sorry, I can't get over this time <laughs> shifting we're doing. Um, <laughs> but my real current day self, I don't know. I'm 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 between projects because one dissolved in front of me and everything's being pushed off. You know, same old story that we're all facing. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of holds going on, so something's going to land. I fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah, it's still slow. <laughs> It's still slow. And I think that, you know, there's a general ramping into us getting back to work, but we'll see. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. With that being said, not to make things sound even more doom and gloom, but we are starting our new series here, starting with this episode, all about generative AI and the impact it is going to have on the way we produce content and how it's reshaping the production landscape. Yeah, and so we thought we would come out with a bang and start with writers because the WGA strike is at the forefront of everyone's mind right now. So we have a WGA writer, Robin Shore, with us today. Welcome, Robin. Are you enjoying a drink with us for happy hour? I am. I'm enjoying a health aid kombucha. Ooh, there just a touch. Of, just a little touch. I love it. Just a touch of fermentation. Right. I usually have <laughs> LaCroix with lunch, but I had not put my LaCroix in the refrigerator yet. It, it reminds me of being in a writer's room, and I had not properly refrigerated my LaCroix, right. so I went with the kombucha. It's rough times right now, right? You know? With <laughs> yeah. got to do what you can. Rob and I like to try and pair my, my cocktail with the topic. So I was trying to find some writerly, author-sounding cocktail. I don't know. I couldn't find anything. I got Tom Collins because it kind of sounds like an author name. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> an old white guy, right? <laughs> For the yeah. cocktail be- listeners out there, it's two ounces of gin, three quarter ounces of lemon juice, a little simple syrup, and soda water. It's just a bill drink. Mix it up in a glass. Delicious. Christian, what about you? Well, um, in honor of 4th of July, I'm having wild turkey straight with a back of Red Bull. <laughs> what what says America more than more than that? I just, I'm, I'm going for it today, so we'll see. Um, we'll see what it's like when we get to the end. It'll be some slurry energy. Oh yeah, we'll be, don't miss go. that. <laughs> exactly. Well, we cover a lot of topics in these episodes, and you know, there's never enough time to dive deep. So we created our episode guide. It's fantastic because it contains all the links and references we discuss in these episodes, plus some important industry news. And don't forget those current events, which are important for you to stay on top of. Shit moves fast in this world. Yeah. So sign up now at ProducersHappyHour.com or click the link in our show notes and you will get the guide. Okay, here we go. So Robin Shore has been writing for sitcoms for the last 18 years, which I can attest to. She does not look like she's been doing this for 18 years. (laughs) Her credits include Samantha Who, Workaholics, The Middle, Gallivant, and The Carmichael Show. She served as showrunner for the Disney Plus show um, Diary of a Future President and as co-executive producer of the Peacock reboot of Punky... Brewster. Which I am so excited about, oddly. <laughs> uh, and in addition to being on staff, Robin has, Robin has developed pilots for ABC, Fox, and Hulu. And this is one of my favorite things because I'm a huge fan of this podcast. She's co-hosts the Los Feliz, the podcast with uh, Morgan Murphy. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah. Um, can I just say something about July 4th really quickly? Absolutely, please. <laughs> yes, please. Since it's July 4th, I used to be a transcriber. I used to transcribe every Dr. Phil show uh, in no, the basement really? at Paramount. Oh yes, as I was putting my spec scripts together. And I worked there for about a year and, or maybe two years, but uh, Dr. Phil always, is, when he was mad about a show, when he thought a show did not go well in terms of taping, oh. and in this case, I'll never forget, it was a show where a father unknowingly hooked up with his long lost daughter at a bar. So it was like really gross. Like uh. the, these, yeah, it was gross. He came out of the studio and sort of threw down his mic and was like, we will air that on July the 4th. So I always think of that as, as far as TV goes, it's a day, it's a day where you yes. dump everything that is disgusting. Oh, well, that's not the intent of today. Absolutely no, I know, not. I know. But uh, I've been in many writers' rooms since then and being like, we are gonna this episode's probably gonna air on July 4th. This guys. episode, July 4th. It could be drowned out by Lee Greenwood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For, for you kids yeah. out there, that's a singer. So okay. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> Elephant in the room. We got to talk about it. The strike. I know you're not a strike spokesperson, but, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're involved. You know what's going on. Can you lay a little bit of the groundwork about the current happenings? Well, it's funny. It's like, do I think by the time July 4th rolls around, we'll still be in a strike? I'm going to prognosticate, guys, and I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I know. Um, me too. Um, that's why I didn't even that's... ask the question. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to still we be here. That's yeah. the energy I'm feeling out on the picket line. But the, the strike is calling into question. This is my second strike, by the way. I'm one of mm -hmm. those people that were like back yeah. in 07. Yeah. Um, and I will Same. say I've noticed a lot of change. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of change since 07, which is great. But now that I think the three hot button issues are number one, mini rooms, which is a new practice. Actually, the Sarah Silverman program, uh, I was talking to my friend who worked on that show. That was like, that was many, many years ago, but that was the first mini room where they would hire these writers for 10 to 20 weeks, let them all go. And then the showrunner had to produce everything. So mini rooms are in contention because what happens is that a Netflix will green light a mini room for a show. You'll try and write as many episodes in those 10 weeks as possible. And then the show will or will not get green lit. And you just don't. And, and then you're in first position at that show. So it, it screws up everybody's schedule, mini rooms. And it is not a good practice for many reasons. The second big issue is minimum staffing. Mm -hmm. Which, mm -hmm. if oh, yeah. I was, if I was to prognosticate, I I don't know that that one's going to make it all all the way across the finish line. I want it to, but just this idea: if you take Mike White on the and the White Lotus, for example, you know he writes every episode himself, which takes jobs away from a staff. So right. when my right. dad watches TV and he's like, "Why aren't you writing for the White Lotus?" I go, <laughs> "Well, Mike, right? Mike White writes, yeah." That yeah. was like when I first when I first got my WGA card, my I guess you could call her my stepsister, like looked at me and was like, why don't you work on something like Friends? Because I, I didn't have any credits that she recognized. <laughs> um, so minimum so staffing, like meaning that Mike White would have to bring on a minimum of like 10 to 12 writers to write something he writes on his own. As opposed to many rooms, it creates more jobs. Mm -hmm. And then... I could be wrong, but I think the third big sticking point is AI, which is what right. we're talking about today. I, exactly. I know there are other sticking points. I know there's a bump 
in residual payments in how much streamers are paying in residuals. So there's a lot of money stuff that I am not an expert in. But I think it's minimum staffing, AI, and mini rooms are the the things that are getting the most press. To your point about minimum staffing, that amount of staff has been hired for these shows up until recently. So that money has always been there. So for a writer like, (laughs) so for a show like White Lotus to be able to save that money and put it somewhere else, I mean, no, it's just, it's it's an accounting that they already had. Yes. So I don't understand why the practice can't continue. That's the number one. But, you know, I'm going to switch gears and say that um, Lawrence and I mainly do commercials. And so the, uh-huh. the thing that I've noticed in the advertising world with AI, this has just started to happen because of um, the lack of staffing at agencies and copywriters. Okay. And they're not covered, just so everyone knows, they're not covered by the WGA, but copywriting is still, you know, something that happens and some writers will do that when they're not doing TV shows and movies. So it's absolutely a craft. But in order to start outlines or to start something, they'll use AI now because they're understaffed. They're understaffed and they need that starting idea. So the creativity is actually being somehow invented (laughs) artificially. How do you see it in general impacting the craft of writing for television and film? The way I want to answer this question is sort of in a roundabout way, which is in the 2007 strike, streamers had not been invented yet. But I remember saying to my sister who had just had a child, I was like, by the time Zach's in college, he's going to be watching TV on his laptop. Zach is now 16 years old and he watches TV on his laptop because of streaming. Like, phone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or on his phone. And we could kind of conceive of it, but we couldn't really know what the future held in a material way. And I think the same is true for AI. We all know what it is. We all know that it's capable of, of replacing us, but we just don't know to what extent And that's the scary thing. That's the big unknown. So in 16 years from now, when Zach is 32, like what (laughs) is he going to be replaced by? And what they're doing is they're feeding in old TV shows, I think. I think they're feeding in like material from old TV shows so that AI can spit out so it's base. It's all coming mm. from our creativity. They're just repurposing it and spitting it out. Uh, uh, it's a learning. computer is repurposing it, learning it, and spitting right. it out. And I also understand, and I know Lawrence, you're in the voiceover world, and I once was many years ago. Like they're they're doing AI and voiceover stuff now too. So yeah, it's like yes. no one's safe from this. No, and that's actually our next episode. We're talking to yeah. uh, a, a woman who sued TikTok because they were using oh. her voice without mm-hmm. consent, without a contract. Voice yep. files were taken from some other job. Bev Standing's her name. It's going to be a great episode, so check that out. But yeah, it's already, they've been screaming about voiceover all, for a couple of years now because that was been one of the first things that's going to be kind of tackled is just synthetic voices. You know, we've had them since Siri was around and and, and beyond. So it's, it's an interesting thing. So I guess the question is, and again, not that you're the spokesperson for the WGA, but how do we regulate the use of AI? I don't have a cogent answer other than to say the way you regulate it, I would think this is a mm-hmm. dumb answer, but to not, to, by not using <laughs> To not fucking use it. Exactly. Right. To not yeah. use it. And if I, I swear to God, if I was in college and I didn't like writing, I'd be like, oh my God, AI chat GPT is my life. But the way I think, 
I think, look, you know, often staff writers are sent off to write promos. They're sent off to write show summaries. And I wonder if that would be a place where they would, uh, you know, Mm. a young, smart staff writer would be like, oh, I don't want to write promos. I'm just going to put it into AI. And so I think it's going to largely be up to the leaders of these shows. And I think ultimately what all of this comes down to is we need really good leadership in moments like these. There has to be a red line where it's like we will not use it. Whereas like in the W in the DGA contract, I think it said something like, we'll keep revisiting this once a year. Yeah, We're going right. to revisit this once a year. And I think the Writers Guild is saying we want it to be re- revisited twice a year, like just mm-hmm. to keep up so that it doesn't take over. But if I was running a show right now, I'd be like, guys, like I actually am not even smart enough to know how you would use AI it, like quite yet. But mm-hmm. I'd be right. like, I, th- I think it's a show by show thing right now. And then I think once we hopefully get the deal that we want, it'll just oh. be like, abs- I think we want it totally banned, but yeah. I don't know for sure. I agree with that because I think that it, it can be tailored so much, even in these early stages to personalities, to it's going to be told how to, what type of voice to write from. Yeah. That I know. <laughs> but you can certainly tell still when you read something, you're like, okay, you know, like, yeah, um, yeah. like uh, yeah. sometimes I'll see something that has four sentences in a row that say the same say exact the same thing. thing. Yeah. But with different words, you're like, mm, I think we just went over this four times. But yeah, like right. it's starting to learn in a way that is insane because of the group learning that happens. Yeah. I think the showrunners also will be a t- hopefully well, it's just another thing you'll for showrunners to, to have yeah mm-hmm. you'll be able to see it if like somebody turns in a promo mm-hmm. to you with the sentence repeated three <laughs> times you'll be like dude <laughs> you're right it has to it definitely has to be regulated because we don't know what it is the same way we did not know what netflix was in 2007 we just don't know what the future holds <sighs> or their impact yeah yeah <laughs> i mean my my boyfriend was writing i wasn't we weren't together then but he wrote on house of cards which was the first big netflix thing right and they had no idea they had no idea that everyone in the world was going to watch that show. They had no idea because that was the first show you could binge all the way through. And uh, it was the first binge model and just they just had no idea. And Kevin Spacey, of course. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Well. A, lot of, a lot of Kevin Spacey stories in this house. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I may have one or two. <laughs> you th- I mean, I guess this begs to to the question: um, Do you think there's a? I mean, I, is anybody talking about? Is there a world in which AI would create unforeseen opportunities for? Is there any kind of? I know, oh. I know, it's a tough one, but no. I, 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 I mean, I, mean I, could, I could maybe see it in development phase, but never yeah. when it comes to like needing real human voices to write for real humans. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the picket sign that said AI didn't have childhood trauma. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's the, that's the root of it all. Is yeah, AI isn't going to address the nuances or like you know put in a joke about something really obscure that you wanted to say, or they won't be able to write a character from the point of view of someone who's alive. <laughs> I'll, I'll hear a joke like that and think to myself. Oh, that writer lived that experience because that joke yeah. can only come from a childhood, you know, like thing that happened to them. Yeah, I love that shit. 
I, yeah, I wrote, met, I mean, this is neither here nor there, but I, I just did a picket with all the people that I wrote with on the middle for many years. And yeah. my dad published a self-published memoir, which kind of destroyed our entire Dang. family, but it would have been a hilarious story <laughs> for the late Jerry Van Dyke, who played the grandfather on the middle. Right. And to do what my dad did, which was just dictate his entire life into an app and then have it translated with typos oh and God. then publish it on Amazon and send it to your whole family. <laughs> is it still available? <laughs> I'm not, I I'm shall kidding. not answer that. Um, <laughs> I think it is. You know, those are the kinds of things that you can't get a robot to be able to pitch in a room. Right. And I was, when totally. I was emailing my old showrunners and I was like, I'm so sad we weren't able to make this a story for Jerry Van Dyke, who played Patty Heaton's father on the show, because that would have been a perfect story for him. So it's like you need someone who's alive and invested in the show from like a story point of view of like, oh, this horrible story for my life would be great for this character. Mm -hmm. This horrible story would be great for that yeah, character. It, exactly. Joel Kim Booster, who wrote Fire yeah. Island, right? You know, Lava. it's like Big fan. The, the computers did not go through the ch kind of childhood trauma that I went through as like a young gay kid. That lived experience, if they're feeding AI all the shows that are out there, it'll come through in some assimilated sense. But it only knows what has previously existed. It only knows stories and characters that have previously existed and can make an amalgamation of those. But yes. it's not going to invent something new, mm -hmm. right? It is not actually sentient. It's not cognizant. It's not alive, like you said. Yet. Uh, no. Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, and I, so, yeah, and Fire Island is such a great example because they were adapting. I think yeah. it was Pride and Pride. Was it Pride and Sense yes. and Sense? It was one of yeah, those. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it not only was it an adaptation, but it was an original screenplay and it had all these different relationships within it with nuances. And I just don't think you can get a robot to understand that. But, you know, I can't wait to listen to this in 17 years and, and I, laugh. Right, you right. know, I don't know. <laughs> How well is this episode going to age? Hey, Christian, why are locations always such a hassle in our jobs? I have a quick story for you, Lawrence, to, to explain why. Bring it on. I get all kinds of jobs, and sometimes there's celebrity interviews where the celeb may live in another market that isn't New York or L.A. Mm. So I have to find a location yeah. near their home because it's just an interview. Nobody's paying for a scout for that stuff. So I use a lot of those marketplaces, but that can be a huge time suck. Oh, God. I do a lot of experiential, and I'm typically on way before I have a budget to bring on a scout. And I got to do a lot of pre-research on locations. Yeah, I've used those marketplaces too, but there's like a million steps between seeing a listing on one of those marketplaces, loving it, actually seeing it in person and then securing it. it, it it's just such a time suck. Yes. And I can speak from experience because that's where our friends from Avey come in. Yes, Avey is the first nationwide location scouting company. Not only do they have a marketplace where you can just, you know, look at options for yourself, they have a concierge service where they access a private network of locations all over the country. It saves you so much time and money and it helps you find the right location for wherever you need to shoot. Exactly. So I just went on their site. I filled out a simple, quick form. I was paired with an amazing location producer. And then I received a curated report with multiple location options for my project. From there, 
They handled everything, including scheduling the walkthroughs even on a Sunday morning at 9 a.m. to negotiating the location agreement. And I didn't need a permit, but they actually offer that service, too. And the most amazing thing about them is that there are no upfront costs. They only get paid if you book the location that they found, which is like so crazy. Save time, money and your sanity by adding Avey to your producer's toolbox. Just visit Avey at Avey.com. That's A-double-V-A. Speaking of pitching and these lived experiences and, and, and whatnot, looking at the other, other side of the coin, what about using this tool just to spark an idea for yourself? Like, are there ethical concerns if a writer was oh. to use it in the AI process, not to write the script, not to create the story, but putting in like, you know, uh, some characteristics of a person and what would happen in their, to them if they were faced with this tragedy. And then all of a sudden it generates some idea that maybe you didn't even come up with. And then you can take that and actually write a show around it or something. <laughs> I don't know. Is that valid? Is Are there ethical concerns with that? Is, is, it, is it wrong to use it in a spitballing kind of way? God, it, it, this question sort of reminds me of like, I remember like writing my first book report or like, I'm so old, we had to have encyclopedias and having to just be like, well, I can't copy exactly what's in the encyclopedia. Right, I have to right. make it my own. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> or depending on class size, maybe you could have. <laughs> right, exactly. I don't know. It is going to boil down to being like a moral question. If you're a writer and you have writer's block and you're like, oh, this robot, I couldn't possibly brainstorm with a robot, that might be a hard thing to turn down. Now, what I would say is maybe don't advertise that you're doing that. You know, like yeah, if, that's, right. if that's your process and how you get into writing, God bless, no one should regulate that. But I would say as a whole, yeah, maybe that's part of the regulation too, is like, how do we use it when the doors are closed and the blinds are pulled? I wish I had a smart answer for that because it's really scary. <laughs> Well, it feels a little bit like, um, you know, taking a story that is somebody else's. Like if you have a friend and, you know, they had a childhood experience that you wanted to use, it feels a little like that, um, only it's more secret. And <laughs> I don't know, to me, it, it just, it feels a little like you're right in the, in the comfort of your own home, I guess, and the, the ethics of it would be whether you, you know, based on whether you told somebody you did it or not, which is right. gross. And and it's a little it's bit sort of like what's happening now on a different level in a different way. Like there we're all out on the picket lines. We're all mm-hmm. there every day. We are not working. We are not turning in WGA work. Are yeah. people at home writing their screenplays right now? Probably. Yeah. You know what I right. mean? Like yeah. we have to we mm-hmm. have to assume that there are some people that are doing WGA work as we speak, but nobody knows about it. And and that's the thing. It's like maybe if you're doing WGA work, God bless, don't advertise it, yeah. you know, because we're here for the greater good. And so maybe the same idea applies to AI, but oh my God, I don't know. I have no idea. I remember when the streamers first started, my agent at the time was just like, this is a new world order. Like the whole world is being rearranged. And I feel like it's the same. This is happening again way, way more than even the 2007, because I don't think House of Cards came out till 2009 or 2010. So it just 
there's just so much on the horizon. It's almost like um, that whack-a-mole. It's like, which which are, which thing are you going to go after first? Yeah, exactly. Right and I, it, it, it's a little bit of an unanswerable question, I know, but it's here. Is there a way to embrace it and regulate it and control it? it you know, it's. I, I, I guess that's my common response to some sort of scary thing coming my way. What am I going to do about it? It is. It's super scary. And yeah, the hearing that the ad agencies are using AI, it's like, that's really tough. And no justification or, um, you know, promotion of such, but um, ad agencies cut their staffs just like everyone else did. Just like uh, I remember when, you know, Paramount bought, you know, like Viacom and they, they so many creatives are now under one umbrella of several networks and they have mm-hmm. to write or do for each of those instead of just the one that they were. So with that right. condensing um, and less staffing, uh, and but your work output is supposed to be the same or more so that you don't lose your job. It's a tool that I'm seeing younger and younger people because it's an easy tool for them to advance versus, you know, <laughs> just like there are all levels of producers out there. You can either get experienced ones or younger ones who are still learning. And it seems that the tool that people are turning to is AI to advance themselves instead of putting in the work. But I think that that's a societal thing of, you it's know, a societal like, thing. And I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, mm-hmm. if, if I believe strongly that it all comes out in the wash. So if you get a crazy promotion from something that you produce through AI, I feel Which there is- will be the time, the time will come where a producer who used AI will have to actually have like boots on the ground and write, you know, there, yeah. there, it, 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 there might <laughs> yeah. And I, I think no. that it's best and it's better to be like, okay, I'm proficient, maybe, maybe to be like, okay, I, I'm young and I understand how AI works, but I also know actually how to do the job. So there's a huge difference there. And that's why like, it's the same in television. Um, you start as a staff writer and ostensibly you work your way up to executive producer. Diary of a Future President was the first show I was ever an executive producer on. And it took 15 years. It took forever Whereas there are people now who are selling their shows and moving right up to EP because they sold a show that is their creation and that's great, but they've never produced an episode of television before, which is really, really tough. Not because we're all looking down on those people, but it's like, no, there's, there's something that happens over years of just learning and absorbing how to do it that you're like, okay, I would make this mistake again. I wouldn't make that mistake again. Practical experience versus AI generated. I want to think that at the end of the day, the practical experience and, and knowing how to function in the real world will pay off. But who knows? Well, I think the sheer amount of streaming services we have and the amount of content and it going from, you know, 20 episodes to 10 episodes has created that vacuum suck of inexperience being able to call themselves uh, or being offered jobs that maybe would have been earned over years of experience before. Yeah. Yeah. The, The volume. Yeah. Is there this vacuum, this insatiable need for content, this, you know, and it's, effect, it's, yeah. effect, it's affecting also the, you know, advertising industry, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't remember the story I always tell Christian about the, the brand, and I can't remember who it was, some cosmetic brand, their budget allowed for two national broadcast TV commercials a year. And that was what they did every year. They had two national broadcast ads, they spent, you know, million dollars, blah, blah, blah. 
now fast forward to this landscape of content everywhere on every platform, they need to make to keep up their brand and their identity. They need to make 50 pieces of content a month and they oh have my the same God. budget. The right. budget didn't change. I'm sure maybe it's grown with inflation, but to know that that is now the level that we're looking at. Whew, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of like, it's almost, there's in a way the, in, in TV, there's almost like a photo negative of what you're saying, which is that like on the middle, we did 24 episodes a year and that took nine months. But then on Diary of a Future President, we had 10 episodes and they paid us out over the course. It took one year between writing, producing it on set and post. It was a full year, which meant that me and the creator of the show had to spread out our paychecks, 10 episodes right. um, uh, over right. one year. And the Writers Guild called me and was just like, you're being paid as a story editor and you're the showrunner. And I was like, yeah, that's... And so that's also part of what we're striking about is Mm -hmm. that they're trying to extend people and keep them from other jobs because you're tied to this one show where you're not making any money, and but you can't go to another show. Well, that was my question. Like, you can't work on multiple shows at a time. You can, but I know there's so much work, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but there's not, there's actually like my experience in the last two years is that there hasn't been work because of the minimum staffing and because of many rooms. And it's just like, I'm not, I'm like in this weird in between place where I'm not like young anymore, but I'm not like weathered either. And it's just like, where does somebody like me go? And it's just a maze. You like, there's no way to figure it out. It was like feast or famine for so long. It, you know, there was this great feast on the middle and then it all, and I remember saying on that show, this is going to end. We are not ever going to be on another show with 24 episodes. And right. I was right. Yeah. It's the only thing oh I've ever gosh. been right about. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, they're, you know, it's the same thing where they're making less people do more work, like what yeah, you're saying, yeah, yeah. Lawrence. In the show running sense, like you let your entire staff go after 10 or 20 weeks, and then it's just you and one other person in a typical writer's room. You'd send two people to the set. You'd you'd have one person at editing. Like the, the showrunner's job is not just for one person. Wow. So it's all messed up. And we need some sort of fundamental changes. <laughs> and I'm glad, I'm sad we're striking, but it's just, it's a mess. <laughs> and it, and it, yeah, it is. And, and the change is coming so fast. And so, like, if it does not get addressed now, right, like, I don't know how long this contract exists for, but like you said, I guess they're trying to build in readdressing this point a couple times Every a year or months. something. Yeah. Right, which is really smart because the technology really is going smart. to increase so rapidly. I mean, yeah, it's again, scary. (laughs) And the AMPTP, I think I could be wrong, but we saw their response, you know, the line items, Uh like their response, the, the, the document Uh, that ultimately led to the strike. And I can't remember exactly, but it said like with AI, it was just like every other deal point was like, we'll engage a little bit on that. We'll engage a little bit on that AI. It was like, we're not engaging. We're not even going to have the conversation with you, which is really, which was very scary to read. Their negotiations are starting at nothing for AI. Like we will not even have the conversation with you, which is, that's the scary thing. Right. No, we yeah. have to talk about it because it's here. Like, it's not yeah. coming. It's it's here. Like, people are already figuring out ways to use it. So, yeah. I think going back to this eth- ethical question, right? Like, okay, so taking it out of, maybe this is too far flung from our conversation, our topic, but like taking it out of, you know, creative output, 
WGA covered work, blah, blah, blah. Somebody writes a cover letter for a job using AI and right. they get the job. Right. Right. Is, is, is that a tool that they use to be able to better express their qualifications and what they can bring to a job? Or is it cheating? It's such a good question. It's such a good question because yeah. there are people out there like that are like, oh, my God, write my dating profile for me. So right, it would yeah, be yeah, funny yeah. what like, oh, AI yeah. would do with a dating profile. But it's kind of like handwriting, right? Like, so like kids these days, kids these days, they don't really know how to handwrite because why do they need to learn how to handwrite, you know? Yeah, yeah, And it's yeah. like, I guess I just feel like, yes, we use computers to type and that prints out something probably better than our own cursive would, but right, it's probably yeah. a good idea to know how to do cursive or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> just to know. And I... I worry about the person who's applying for a job who wouldn't be able to know how to write a cover letter without chat GBT or yeah. without, you know, we've got enough Google. There's enough Google how to write a cover letter. You know, they're already right. halfway there. How much help do people need? How much help YouTube. do people need with writing a cover letter? <laughs> right. Yeah. I've renovated, renovated an entire house based on YouTube videos. How to. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. That's Yeah. That's great. Can you come to my house? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, if you're WGA, you're, you've got the union protection uh, there in place, assuming, you know, this contract gets settled. But what can young writers do that are not union, that are not working on a show? What can they do to protect themselves and their, their creative output as they try to get into, you know, a, a career of writing? It's so funny because I'm like, protect yourself. What? Like, you know, we're, we're so used to being taken advantage of. Exactly. So I would say the yeah. first step would be just just get okay with the fact that you will be taken advantage of, even if we get this contract settled, they will find other ways to take yes. advantage of writers. And, and it is up to us to stand up for ourselves and really advocate for ourselves. And I can say as a woman, I've advocated for equal pay and it didn't go well. It did not go well. And so it's like what I tell a younger person to, to, you know, there was massive pay disparity between me and someone who was working for me, who was making triple what I was making. And he happened to have a penis between his legs, uh, you know, and I love the guy, but it was just like, come on. So it's just knowing if you're going to get into the TV writing business, you're going to get screwed one way or the other. We just don't <laughs> know how. If the thunder won't get you, the lightning will. But... I would say what I always say to people who are pre-WGA or wanting to break in, there is no substitute for sitting down at your computer and just writing. Forget about AI. Forget about whether you should write a spec script or a pilot or whatever. Like, I don't know if you remember the spinoff Joey, the friend spinoff. That's what my oh, yeah. spec was about in 2004. <laughs> you know, like, so I would always just say keep creating and keep writing because that's the only thing we can control is was our, what our output is. Everything else is truly very loud noise that you have to just kind of, when it's just you and your computer, just write, write the thing you love and see what happens with it. Alana Pena had her diaries from when she was a kid and turned them into a television show for Din Disney+. Plus. If you're pre-WGA, eliminate any fear because you're, you're working without a net and that's actually good. Right. You're already yeah. self-advocating because you're not, you don't have the backing of a guild. 
writers just have to write. Just keep mm-hmm. writing, keep putting stuff out there, keep putting your stuff out there. In the very, very early days of the Lonely Island, the Lonely Island guys used to live across the street from me. <laughs> and I'd be like, what are those dummies doing with their camera, <laughs> just making something called Stork Patrol? I was like, you know, and they're all really good friends of mine, but I was just like, ugh, good luck with Stork yeah. Patrol. And then, you know, and then sure we enough. all worked on the 2005 MTV Movie Awards and they showed Jimmy Fallon Stork Patrol and Jimmy Fallon was like, mm. you guys need to meet Lauren Michaels. So go and make your Stork Patrol, yeah, you know? Exactly. And then see what happens. Those guys, I think at that point may have had an agent, but they were like, they were they were living hand to mouth and just doing whatever they could to make their videos and to like establish their brand. Tapping into yourself, we were talking about this earlier. We talk about this with directors a lot, commercial directors a lot. How do I how do I stand out? How do I break free? And I think that's the same conversation that can continue through to this AI conversation is connecting with your unique story, your own yeah. humanity, your own point of view that no computer knows about. Correct. Right? Finding yeah. yourself through your writing and and bringing something to the page that is truly unique and truly your own, and that's the humanity that is going to rise to the surface over these I you know five so. sentences that that say the same thing over and over again. Right, and I think also <laughs> you know when it comes to TV, I feel like viewers are really smart and really sophisticated, and they'll start to be able to tell. Even our dumbest audiences, wherever they are, will be like that doesn't feel right. And and you know as the summer wanes on with the strike, they're going to start noticing a dip in content. People are like, oh my god, there's too much on TV, and then there's not going to be enough. So there's yeah. always going to be an outward cry for something different or more. But like all we can control is like knowing like my dad wrote a memoir and one of these days there's gonna be a television episode about it. I don't know how or why, but I will therapize myself (laughs) against that (laughs) memoir by writing a TV episode about it. You know, nobody else can necessarily do that. Yeah. Like (sighs) self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, I don't think the robot has the ability to self-reflect or the robot doesn't go to therapy and understand forgiveness. And so I do think these human stories at the end of the day will win out, but maybe that's because I'm a psychotic optimist. I don't know. I mean, they certainly aren't enhanced by medication or other substances, which also helps as well. True. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. It's such a pleasure talking about the, well, shit subject, but thank you so much for talking to us about it. How can people get a hold of you if they would like to? I would say I'm most active on Instagram. You can find me at Robin Shore, R-O-B-I-N-S-H-O-R-R on Instagram. We're trying to do more episodes of Los Feliz, the podcast. Yes, please. Yes. We, we need a producer, but we oh. it, it would come out of pocket. It would have to come out of our pockets because <laughs> right. we don't have a network anymore. So if, if anybody out there wants to produce Los Feliz, the podcast on an economically sound scale model, <laughs> we're looking for producers. And um, so, yeah. Hopefully, we'll be getting more episodes into your ears of that show. We wanted to bank a few before uh, I left for for a little vacation. Okay, and where where on any podcast app you can find Los Feliz the podcast? You can. It's on Spotify for sure. And then we had to relaunch it into Apple Podcasts, and I don't know if it's been like approved again. Right. That right. is something a producer would do, uh, and I'm not smart <laughs> enough for it. <laughs> That's why it's good to know how to do technical stuff. It is. Exactly. 
Christian, what about you? How do people get a hold of you? As always, sisterchristianproduces.com. And Lawrence, if they want you, how do they get you? LawrenceTLewis.com. All the goodies are there. <laughs> and Lawrence, did you tell everybody, Lawrence, that you were the owner of a beautiful new cha- blue chair? I, I was telling Christian before we started recording. <laughs> I yes, so I, I like, bought what a, did I miss I, out on. <laughs> I bought a beautiful chair from from Robin because we are neighbors in Los Feliz, and uh, it's uh, it's now residing in my Joshua Tree house, and it looks great. I'll send Amazing. you a photo. <laughs> good, good, good. Use it in good health. Yes. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Robin. Thank you. Thank you. Producers Happy Hour is brought to you with the help of the handsome Christopher Daniels, who is a design and branding specialist, and Brendan Russell at podlad.com, who is our fabulous editor. If you enjoy this podcast and want to dive deeper, subscribe to our listeners' newsletter. Simply go to producershappyhour.com to sign up. Thanks for listening, and remember, enjoy happy hour while you can. Because making shit is hard. hard, hard.